Hello, professional property managers. Andrew Smallwood here with Peter Lohman of RL Property Management. And excited to introduce many of you to Peter. I know there's a good number of you who are familiar with him because Peter has written some, I want to say like 3,000 plus word articles. <laughs> if, if it can feel like 10,000 plus because they're so thorough and well done. Um, you know, and Peter is a great follow on Twitter. We'll, we'll, we'll give some resources. I'm going to actually just give it right now, which is peterloman.com. If you're not sure on the spelling, just check your podcast player and you'll see it <laughs> right in the title of the episode, uh, P-E-T-E-R-L-O-H-M-A-N-N.com. And uh, whenever Peter comes out with one of these, you know, kind of wave making articles in the industry that generally stirs up some good conversation, uh, you'll get a notification about if you sign up for his email list there. He's a great follow on Twitter. And uh, and he's got a podcast himself. I think it's called Owner Occupied. Yep. Is that right, Peter? Yep, that's right. Cool. So some great resources. And, uh, and we recommend Peter as a resource. And the way I'd like to get things kicked off, Peter, is actually, you know, something I've noticed, you know, following you on Twitter and just following, you know, kind of public conversation and digital conversation with you. We've had, I guess this is our second conversation now. Um, you know, is that I think you've got this engineering background that really informs the way you do things like you don't, you don't care yourself as the arrogant guy who's got everything figured it out as the know it all. Uh, but you are the kind of guy who is constantly figuring things out and coming up with good and impressive answers to problems that a lot of people are facing. And I think you've got a level of attention to detail and diligence and everything. I just love to know kind of where that comes from. And if you could share a little bit of what it's like to think like an engineer in the property management business. Sure. Well, first, thanks for having me, Andrew. Really excited to be here and kind of dive into some of these meaty topics. So yeah, my you're right. My background is engineering. Um, my degree is in electrical engineering. And I worked as a control systems engineer right out of school for about five years. And this was from about 2007 to 2012 ish. During that time, uh, my business partner and I were buying up single family rentals and renting them out. And so that's kind of how I got familiar with managing property and, and the world of real estate. But um, I think to speak more to your question, I definitely do approach things with that engineering mindset. It's hard for me to, to know now how much of that was like just a natural way of, of how I move about the world and how much of it came from my background in engineering. But I definitely always approach things from a systems perspective. Something I, I like to remind my staff is when we encounter a problem, let's say um, a client is unhappy because we didn't, we didn't cut their grass when we were supposed to, like they mentioned during the sign-up process, they wanted our team to handle cutting the grass and, and we dropped that ball. When I encounter something like that, of course, I want to make things right by the client, you know, make sure we get that taken care of right away, refund them if it's appropriate. But my mind immediately is going to, okay, now how did that happen, right? Where in the systems and processes for onboarding a new client did we drop that ball? I am so much more interested in that than I am the specifics of, you know, this individual client and, and that one mess up. I'm much more like, okay, is this a systemic problem 
or is this just a one-off thing that we need to solve and move on? So I don't, yeah, I think I, I often think about engineering and the way that what it really teaches you, of course, you learn, you know, as an electrical engineer, I learned about circuits and, and current and voltage and Ohm's law and all those great things. But I think even more important than that was you learn how to think, you learn how to problem solve, you learn how to break things down and uh, think about a, a whole system from a problem solving perspective. And that was extremely valuable. And in, in some ways, I compare that to the education you get as a lawyer. I think law school teaches you similar how to really think from um, just like almost like an outside perspective looking in and trying to think about problems in a very holistic way rather than just kind of blindly patching things and moving on. You're like you're you're taking more of like an uh, 30,000 foot view of things. So uh, I found it really useful in property management. Um, I did come out of engineering school with a little bit of that. Uh, if you've ever heard engineer's disease, which is, <laughs> you know, when you, because you're good at engineering, you think you're good at everything. I definitely uh, suffered from that disease, especially when I was younger. And it made me uh, kind of reinvent the wheel a lot in property management. And I, I kind of stumbled along for years before I found NARPM and get started really connecting with other professionals in the space. I was like, oh yeah, I really shouldn't be reinventing the wheel. There's a lot of great solutions that have already been figured out. Let me take what makes sense from those and then kind of put my own spin on it as well. Yeah, that, that's a really helpful way of starting. And I think you've got this nice blend of, you know, thinking like an engineer, but it seems like you've also got kind of an entrepreneurial spirit about you, um, you know, that you love building a business, that you love thinking about not just the technical systems, but also the human systems that exist, you know, in, in property management and solve, solving those problems, um, you know, in different ways. Yeah. So you know, maybe where we can go next here, Peter, is um, what's on a lot of people's mind right now is staffing challenges. And there's always been, there's always been difficulty in the industry and a lot of people, what they experience is, hey, I'm in a lower margin, you know, kind of service business category. And, you know, I, I, it's hard to make the investment to, to make that first hire and then the second hire. And then going from there, a lot of people kind of get stuck in the, you know, 300 to 800 door gap, et cetera, figuring out how to, yeah. how to get to a point of scale. It's like there's always there's been persistent problems for a long time, but there's also some like very timely problems happening right now. And I know you've experienced this and you guys are working through it. Um, t tell us a little bit about what you're experiencing there and how you guys are approaching it. Yeah. So we're definitely experiencing some pain. Um, you know, we just for some context, we manage about 520 units. We're here in central Ohio and, uh, yeah, we've had uh, just recently here in the last few weeks, we had two different team members give give their two weeks notice. And we've got about 15 people at the company just for a sense of scale. And um, prior to that, we had uh, quite a lot of discussion with some of our office team members here about uh, just quite frankly, pay rates. Um, we had some folks that were upset that they weren't making more. And um, so we 
you know, went through a lot of introspection. My business partner and I did a lot of uh, thinking and we ran some numbers and we talked quite a bit to the manager of those office employees about what they were experiencing. And we did some research into the marketplace in terms of what other positions were available and what they would pay. And yeah, it's a hard time to be an employer right now. I think there's no doubt that the power, the balance of power has shifted more toward labor, quote unquote, toward the employee, which is fine. I don't, you know, there's no problem with that. Um, But it does present challenges for employers. You're competing with other employers for talent. You've got inflation. Um, You're dealing with COVID, of course, and, and the stimulus. So... Yeah, it's been uh, a time of of soul searching and and really thinking about what kind of employer do we want to be? What kind of jobs can we offer? um, What kind of careers can we provide for the people that work here? And is it really feasible to expect that we're going to be able to provide a salary uh, to to an office employee, say, say a property manager? Is it, is it realistic to think we could provide them a salary on which they could raise a family, for example? Um, and I struggle with that because we are in a relatively low margin business, although I think that's getting better uh, thanks to a lot, a lot of hard work by a lot of people in and out of the industry. But nevertheless, um, you know, the, the, the revenue from our businesses, first and foremost, comes from rent that's paid by tenants sort of on its way to the owners, right? It's sort of like the rent gets paid in, we kind of grab a handful and the rest of it goes to the owner. And that's necessarily going to be always, there's always going to be a limit to how far you can push that number up. And you can make it up through ancillary revenue and maintenance and brokerage and some other things. Um, But there's just never going to be a, a time when you're making, you know, 50% 50% margins or 80% margins like you see in some software type businesses. It's just not going to happen. So we need to be realistic about that. And um, the folks that you're employing, you you really need to keep a close eye on the labor efficiency ratio, um, which is just, if you just take the total number of dollars of revenue that you're earning and you divide that by the the raw dollars that you're paying out in wages, um, Greg Crabtree, who's, who's written a couple excellent books, uh, which are highly relevant for property managers about, uh, you know, accounting and profit. Um, he says you want to keep that labor efficiency ratio over 2.0, meaning for every, for every dollar in wages you pay out, you should be generating $2 in revenue. So you got to look at that. Um, and how do you square that with employees who are demanding raises and clients who don't want to pay anything more. So yeah, definitely been on the kind of the forefront of my mind here. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, as you're encountering this situation, going back to what you talked about earlier, you know, I'm sure you and your partner are, th- are thinking about not just the moment of, Hey, somebody put in their two weeks notice and how do we specifically refill this seat? It's that you're asking, it sounds like you're asking these kind of questions of, what's really the root cause of what's going on here? What are the factors kind of at play? What's the what's the game board that we're playing on now and how has that shifted? And, you know, you may still be in the middle of this, but what are some of the, what are some of these solutions you could say at that later deeper or upstream that you guys are 
are talking about and thinking about as you talk about resolving it while it sounds like holding a standard of a direct labor efficiency ratio of 2.0 or higher. Like there's some standards you want to keep in place and still solve for the challenge of not having to have a high rate of turnover. Absolutely. Yeah. And we're, yeah, I have a tendency when, like when we've got two employees who give notice within a three week period, I have a tendency to maybe overthink and, um, you know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm overanalyzing the situation. It could just be a coincidence, but immediately my first thought is, is to think about, Hey, are we doing something wrong here? Right. And I, I think for a lot of entrepreneurs and maybe even myself, when I was a little younger, your instinct is to be like angry or resentful. You know, I invested all this money. I trained this person. I've been over backwards. I've given raises. I've added PTO. And then they go ahead and give their notice anyway. You know, you get all mad. And, and I think that's human, right? We all feel that. But you really have to, to uh, you really, I, I think I'm going to butcher this, but there's an approach to life, which is like, everything is your fault. You just take responsibility for everything and you move about the world that way rather than constantly and not not to walk around like a victim, but just just to take responsibility for everything. And I think that's powerful. So in this situation, I'm immediately wondering, like, OK, are, are we as employers messing up? In other words, are we not providing a good work environment? Are we not showing appreciation? Are we not providing um, support and training and career advancement? So my mind is kind of dealing with all these thoughts of like, okay, do we need to course correct here? But at the same time, we have an immediate pressing problem of we need to backfill these roles and really quickly because we were already kind of understaffed going into this. So it's, it's kind of like uh, almost like an emergency that we get these positions filled so that we can service our clients. Right. So, all right. So solutions, right. What do we do? Well, my mind is going a few different directions. One is, and it's going to be no surprise, but remote team members, right? And we we um, we worked with Home Vault here recently to place our very first remote team member, uh, an occupied maintenance coordinator. His name is Yomar. He's from the Philippines. He started a week ago, and uh, it's gone really well so far. It's early days, but um, you know the cost of living in the Philippines is just drastically different than what it is in the United States, and so you can pay a living wage and, and it's a lot less. And it's also, it's a contractor instead of W2. So there's some real advantages there um, from from keeping your labor efficiency ratio down, right? Because these folks are able to work hard and, uh, and, just, and just crank out work for a much lower hourly rate, quite frankly. So I think that's going to be a part of it. Um, I'm also looking at, I'm just sort of, I'm starting to wonder if I was thinking about the jobs that we offer here a little bit incorrectly. Um, I always had in my mind that the folks who came to work here would kind of be here forever and that we would have plenty of opportunities for them to advance and move up and that they would want to do so and that they would also be willing to invest in, um, in their own personal growth and leadership growth at, at a rate that was sort of congruent with the company growth and that everything was just going to be roses and rainbows, right? Well, what, you know, no surprise. I think what I'm learning here is 
especially for kind of the the entry level office jobs here um i just can't pay those roles 25 dollars an hour right it just doesn't the numbers don't pencil in these are these are like 16 18 20 an hour jobs and they're they're the type of jobs where i can bring someone in and if my systems are set up right i can onboard and train and have someone doing 90 percent you know operating at 90 percent capacity within a few weeks um through you know process street and loom videos and buildium and and all the other resources that we have so so i i guess my one of the conclusions that i'm kind of turning over in my mind here is maybe i just need to be okay with a little bit of turnover as long as we treat people well we're honest and upfront about what the job is what it pays and what the opportunities are some people are going to move on and do great things elsewhere and that's okay we need to be happy for them cheer them on um while kind of clearing the way for another maybe entry-level person to come in get experience with real estate get experience with property management for a lot of people this is their first office job right these are people coming out of maybe a bartender job or a server job and um and for them they're really thankful to get that experience and and really learn how what it is to work in an office and, and it could be a stepping stone for them and again i think i'm what i'm talking myself into is as long as we made best effort to provide opportunities for training, provide pay raises, and, and as much as possible opportunities to move up in a company that's growing, that's not always going to be possible. Um, if they, if they decide to move on, you know, that's okay. So that's kind of, I'm sort of midstream with all this. So my thoughts are maybe a little, <laughs> a little jumbled oh, here still, but I think so many people are having this conversation you know, within their organizations or in, in many cases, just looking in the mirror, <laughs> trying yeah. to figure out, ask these same questions. And, you know, we're hearing from some other property managers saying, you know what, I, I am going to invest a little bit more into the manager level, right? Mm -hmm. Because we are going to expect this person to work with people, develop and train them quickly, run a system, right? Um, but there's not going to be that advancement opportunity for that kind of position within the company. And we should expect people to learn and grow and eventually exit the company to whatever's next for them out of that role. So we need good managers in place to make sure that that's, that's done well. And you also mentioned, uh, certainly there's a ton of conversation and a lot of people looking at global talent, uh, and remote talent as a solution as well. Um, yeah. So appreciate you sharing sharing both of those. Yeah, and I'll, I'll give some credit here to Matthew Whitaker at Evernest. He's got a couple great podcasts that I think your audience would really like. Uh, 300 to 3,000 is one of them. And he, he's talked about this, and I've heard him say this. I heard him say this, you know, probably many months ago, and, and maybe it's finally now real, which is like, people, people are going to come, they're going to be with your company for a while, and they're going to move on, and we need to... Um, we need to almost like embrace that because they're they're, they're going to then go and be amb ambassadors about your company and your clients and your and your residents out into the community and you need to treat those people well while they work for you help them along in their career and wish them well on their journey so i think that uh, i want to give some credit to him that maybe helping plant the seeds there <laughs> when i heard that for the first time absolutely absolutely and I think, you know, 
Peter, something we talk a lot about at Second Nature and that we're focused on as a company, one of the conversations we're focused on is how do property managers create value today and also in the years ahead? And, and I want to tie this to what we're talking about, which is there's a big movement rightly into remote, you know, remote work and saying, hey, we can get these jobs done at a same, sometimes even a higher level than they're happening today at a lower cost. And mm -hmm. so that's a more efficient way of doing things. So of course, like, why wouldn't you do that? Um, there's a lot of talk about, hey, let's bring in a lot of the technology, right, that can perform some of these functions, some of the automated workflow, right, optimization, et cetera, that makes us more efficient as an organization, more reliable, it's, you know, and, uh, you know, second nature is standing up and applauding uh, <laughs> everything in this direction. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we think it's important. However, if that's the only game that people are playing today, then the reality is um, that's a business that's becoming commoditized, right? Uh, when, it, when it's a cost-cutting game, you know, kind of across the board. Um, you know, of course, doing that faster than other people, there's going to be some advantage temporarily there. Um, but over time, you know, that that's going to be eventually you're going to be, uh, you know, in the pinching businesses, you know, pinching penny business and, and if it's only about cutting costs. And so one of the questions we like to ask property managers and, and people like yourself is about creating new value and where's kind of the enduring value that isn't as susceptible to that commoditization, you know, over time. And so we'd love to get your thoughts on that of like kind of what you're seeing happening today. And as you look forward to the future, you know, wh where are you guys trying to innovate? Where are you guys trying to create new value? Where, where's really the enduring value of RL property management position? Yeah. Great, great thought there. Great topic. Um, Wow, it's it's broad. Let me pull together some of my thinking on this. So, yeah, I think in terms of cost cutting, right? Um, and and wages, of course, are by far the dominant expense item for a property manager, consuming anywhere from a third to two thirds of their overall expenses. So, looking to save money on wages, as we are and everyone is, is you know no harm there, like you said. Um, I think there's certainly an attitude in property management. I would say it, it, it's fair to say the majority of property managers, their perspective is very much toward the side of fee maxing. You know, how do we, how do we pump up our numbers? How do we grow, um, our revenue in terms of the fees we charge to tenants, clients? Um, how do we generate more, more dollars for every hour of, of labor. Um, and there's definitely a limit to that. I'm not the first person to point this out, even among the industry. Um, Jordan Moyla likes to remind everybody that Jeff Bezos says your margin is my opportunity. Um, there's definitely some truth to that. I think we need to be a cognizant of the fact that I, I think, especially now with how many other revenue opportunities there are in property management, 
we need to be thinking about our clients and their bottom line, right? And every dollar that you charge your client in additional fees, whether that's the monthly management fee, the leasing fee, or other fees, that's a dollar less that is available to earn as a return on their investment, right? So um, I do think we need to maybe start looking at keeping our fees flat as a competitive strategy um, or as a way to help our owners be successful with their businesses because their their real estate really is their business just like our property management company is our business um, not necessarily saying we run out there and and cut to the bone just because I think there's an old way of thinking which is like I'm gonna bend over backwards and do anything for my client just because with no like, there's no strategy. There's no anything. It's just kind of like, that's because that's the way dad did it or whatever. Um, and that's not what I'm suggesting at all. You see that attitude with realtors a lot where they're used to doing anything to help their clients sell their home. Then they come in and they bring that attitude to property management where it might not be appropriate. I'm talking more about very deliberately saying, you know what, Mr. Owner, you're an investor. We like where you're headed. You're growing your business. We want to grow with you and we want to help you be successful what if we cut you a little bit of a deal, you know, on volume? So anyway, I think there's, I think there's some opportunities there. I think that needs to start to be more of the conversation in terms of what is the value that a property manager provides. I definitely think we need to start looking more toward, um, boots on the ground, sweaty startup, blue collar, hard work type value, because I think the value that we provide in terms of um, moving money around and accounting and some of these other higher level, especially financial type functions, these are going to become centralized, automated, and therefore competed away in terms of the ability to provide value there. Um, it's just going to be taken for granted that any property manager I work with, or if I decide to work with Zillow and manage myself, all of those options are gonna provide a base level of accounting and rent collection and, and some of these other compliance, uh, things like that. So where I really think there's gonna be value though in the future is no matter what, you're gonna need people to go over to that house or apartment and do stuff, okay? And whether that's posting a notice or fixing a leak or showing a unit or doing a move out inspection, some human being is going to need to get in a car and go to that property. So if you can control that labor force and that organizational structure and logistical challenge, there's real value there, right? And I think about this in terms of our clients where a tenant calls in about a leak and we can have someone there that afternoon, you know, that is not something that even a homeowner could really organize or, or accomplish. And here we are providing it for residents. You believe, hey, the kinds of things that involve people solving problems, you know, directly the boots on the ground, right, being the term that you use, that's gonna be the hardest stuff for technology to replace right mm -hmm. somebody looking at something smelling something and knowing <laughs> knowing something's wrong yeah and uh and having the expertise to get that problem solved quickly that's going to be some of the most enduring value in the property management business i, I would bet 
if that's your perspective that either you have in-house maintenance or you've in-house at least important parts of the maintenance process. Um, yeah, is that we, true? Yep. We do have an in-house maintenance team here. Uh, we take it quite seriously. We've got six W2 employees who work for the company that are running around, you know, doing turnovers and things like that. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and look no further than, you know, the, if you've had, if you've tried to get a handyman come out to your house anytime in the last year or two, just, just to do something really basic, like maybe like fix a gutter or replace a doorknob or something, uh, that's darn near impossible. And if you can get anyone to call you back, they're scheduled way out and the prices are high and those people and those activities, the market is showing you that that's valuable, you know, and, and that's, I think the direction that I'm thinking about as the future of the business. Um, because the reality is the Zillow's and the Airbnb's and, and, and even some of our vendors like Buildium and Atfolio, they've got their eye on these, um, the financial side of things. And that's eventually, like I said, it's going to be competed away that there's not going to be any meaningful differentiation you're going to be able to make oh, well, if you have your property professionally managed, we can collect your rent, ACH. No, that's all going to be available to everyone, right? So. Yep. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. Um, before we get into Zillow and Airbnb, because I would love to take a couple minutes there. I know you've got um, some ideas of what could happen uh, that mm -hmm. I, I think would be interesting for people to hear. There was something else you said, which I think is important, which was about this paradigm of fee maxing and you know my view I'll, I'll just speak for myself not second nature or anybody else <laughs> but to me the idea of fee maxing it's got a PR problem and the PR problem is it's saying it's it really gives this impression which is what you described of how do we maximize transaction value how do we extract as much as possible from what's going on in the business as opposed to a value creation yeah. paradigm and to your point i thought you made a, a really salient point which was that i think you said it was realtors that come from this just do anything to invest in the relationship is well we're believers at second nature of being generous investing in the relationship creating great experiences for people and also making sure those experiences are relevant enough where people are saying they're experiences I'm willing to pay for, right? Because otherwise you will over rotate on <laughs> doing mm -hmm. a bunch of generous things and you cannot build a business, right? So it's looking for how do we create new valuable experiences that people are willing to pay for as a qualifier and saying, you know, how do we get on the value creation? How do we get into the value maxing game, right? Mm. And you talked about, uh, and listen, it's perfectly okay to monetize your services. Some people are afraid to monetize the services and we see that hesitancy out there. Uh, you know, the, there there is kind of this both and perspective as opposed to saying an either or, you know, kind of perspective that we would advocate for. And I, I feel like that's what you're, calling for and recognizing, hey, investing a ton of your time into something, you know, that's financial, transactional, et cetera, here, 
that may be that may be okay in the short term, but that may be a difficult investment of your time long term because you're going to see that kind of stuff get commoditized and more available for people to do it yeah. on their own. It's not going to differentiate you long term as a professional manager. Yeah. No, but, also, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I also think it's just you can't you can't build a business around how do we get the most money out of our client? I mean, how do you energize your staff around that? You're putting that as a mission statement banner on your wall. I mean, it's just not, you gotta, obviously you need to make sure you're making your margins and you work with groups like profit coach and others to, to make sure you're hitting your numbers, but that shouldn't be the be all end all. Um, you really, and, and I'm speaking as much to myself as anyone else here, you need something bigger that you're that you're working toward or that you're a way in which you're serving people or adding value and i actually think this is extremely challenging in property management it's very difficult because the base level services that we provide are extremely taken for granted by both tenants and clients and it's a grind every day um so it's so hard to just make it through the day-to-day struggle let alone let alone make a decent margin let alone now we're supposed to be serving some greater philosophical idea it's like get the hell out of here i mean (laughs) it's it's hard but and i think too about there's a lot of talk in the industry around you're not in the property management business you're in the wealth creation through real estate business as a message to as a messaging point or, or a talking point with clients and at a certain point, I get that, but at a certain point, I also push back against it because I really feel like, you know, our title or our role is not asset manager. And I think an asset manager position, which would be more like someone who's overseeing a few different apartment communities and thinking about how to, how to, um, how, how to position those properties, how to market them and brand them how to price them, how to um, how to arrange the financing debt and equity to maximize rates of return and things like that. That's generating wealth through real estate. That's a very high level um, value add, uh, extremely, you know, uh, some would say difficult type of activity that commands um, an appropriate compensation for an asset manager type role and we just aren't compensated that way as property managers we are dealing in the tactical we are dealing with there's a leaky hose at the property the property's not renting the tenants moving out okay this is tactics okay we if we if we want to sell strategy um first i think we should be paid appropriately for that and second i just don't know that we're in a position to actually be able to dictate strategy from a position of authority into the marketplace because we are we are we are viewed by our clients as tacticians as executors as assistants and i'd love to change that and maybe it will change in my lifetime and i I know it's different in some other countries even like australia australia i've heard property managers are very much viewed as professionals but that's just not the reality here and so would i love it if all my clients called me when they were formulating their retirement plans and how are we going to get to 10 million in assets? Do you recommend buying a single family or multifamily? That would be fantastic. And we might have one or two clients out of 200 who are open to having that conversation with their property management company. 
So what does that leave, right? If we can't be their asset manager and it's a scrap and a struggle just to collect the rent, how do we then, uh, you know, commit ourselves to some higher calling? How can we create, you know, more value for our clients? It's a hard thing. It's really difficult. And I wish I was, you know, had some answers there. It's something that we think a lot about and uh, it's challenging. Well, cer- certainly if it was just that easy as uh, <laughs> us getting on a call and talking about it, we'd, we'd probably yeah. have uh, <laughs> a we'd, lot we'd more professionally for it, managed yeah. <laughs> homes out there. That's right. Um, well, Peter, here's here's where I'd like to go um, as, as we bring this to to a close here, which is um, you, know, you mentioned Zillow and Airbnb in particular, which is I think a lot of people are thinking about Zillow and talking about Zillow. I think fewer people are thinking about Airbnb or talking about Airbnb. You know, how, how do you really see the strengths of those companies? And I, 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 I will reserve my opinion until after you share yours. But you know, would love to start with you know, why should people be paying attention to that, and uh, what, what role do they play in the years ahead? Do you think? Yeah. So I'll I'll, I'll stick to Airbnb just for the sake of of time. Um, and I think it's it's really interesting. So Airbnb has done something really important, which is they have aggregated demand. In other words, they have com- they have commanded the eyeballs or they command the eyeballs and the the hearts and minds of consumers. So if you are going to travel to another city and you don't want to stay in a you know in a brand name hotel, where do you go? You go to Airbnb. Of course you do. Right. You're not, what are you, you're going to go on Craigslist and look for some short term. No, you're not going to do that. Okay. And you're, you're, are you going to Google like Baltimore, small apartment, short term rental, and you're going to look through what's coming through Google? No, you're not going to do that either. You're going to go on Airbnb. And so that I think you almost cannot overstate how valuable capturing the whole side of one marketplace is in that way. Because what that means really is Airbnb now controls where those eyeballs get directed. So if you have, and, and I do have, a short-term property available for rent, you have to list it on Airbnb, realistically speaking for most people, if you want to fill that unit with good short-term uh, guests. So what? how does that affect us as property managers? Well, I think... You know, if you think about how Airbnb deals with the short-term rental stay, okay, think about what they think about what they're controlling. They control the quote application process. They control the the security deposit if there even is one. They control the quote rent payment. They control the quote lease agreement by and large. Um, they really. Uh, you know, there's a uh, there's a validated review component uh, where it's you can't leave a review for a for a landlord unless you've stayed at the property and vice versa. So their platform is just ironclad, and I think it would be so simple for them to turn a switch. And now, guess what? You can rent an Airbnb for your next apartment, right? And so it'd be as simple as oh, I already have an Airbnb account. Let me just go on Airbnb and see what's for rent because I want to live in an apartment downtown for the next couple of years. And now I heard that Airbnb has unfurnished apartments for rent on year-long leases. 
Um, so now think about from a perspective of a tenant, how great this experience would be. You're dealing with a trusted platform. You're dealing with verified reviews of the landlord and the property itself. You're dealing with a payment system that you already are hooked up to with your credit card and everything else. And you know, it's not going to be goofing you around with, uh, you know, fraud, fraud or anything like that. You don't have to fill out a ridiculous three page application where you're giving away your mother's maiden name and your social security number and everything else. You don't have to deal with a shady landlord who's not going to be responsive because that landlord knows you're going to leave a review and that review actually means something. So you know your landlord's going to be responsive. Um, it's just as simple as could be. It's a beautiful, beautiful experience for a resident. So what does that mean for us as, as property owners and property managers? It means if we want access to great tenants who are probably the best tenants in the marketplace, those who have an Airbnb account, a credit card tied to it, and some rental history on there, those are the, the great tenants that you want in your properties. You're going to have to be on the platform which means you got to play by their rules. And I just, if you play that out a little bit, you realize that they hold all the cards in that situation. And you as the property manager are now relegated to, if you've ever rented an Airbnb, or if you've ever been a host of an Airbnb, you know what's involved. You're dealing with turnover and you're dealing with maintenance and you're dealing with cleaning, but you don't have anything to do with the money or the lease agreement or the security deposit or any of this other stuff. So this kind of gets to what I was saying earlier about this is all going to be commoditized. I think property managers need to keep a close eye on uh, Airbnb for this reason and Zillow for a lot of similar reasons. So this is kind of my, my bet. My, my thinking is that Airbnb is going to move into traditional long-term annual leases. And I would imagine you know, this is the kind of thing where just just being aware of the possibility and the opportunity makes a property manager stop and say, well, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> <laughs> how am I focused on, you know, protecting the value of my company uh, and, and somebody, we've seen this where people, hey, they aggregate all of the demand right? And that when they hold that direct account control, uh, you know, what a powerful position it can put them in to really move a market. And we've also seen for, I don't know how many years, real estate agents say, real estate agents are gone tomorrow. Zillow's taking over tomorrow. And it, it I think Zillow has, you know, I, I don't know what percentage of market share it is, right? But it, it's some minority still, right? Of the market mm -hmm. share. And so it's, while it's not an overnight thing, you know, that's one of the things where we say, man, if a property manager is doing great business development, and if they're really doing great marketing in their local market, much like a great real estate agent, you know, would, if a real estate agent was surviving on Zillow leads and Zillow leads alone, right, they're, <laughs> they're probably going to be yeah. in trouble. You're at the right? mercy. Yeah. You're in trouble. If that's where all your business development is. Um, and for a property manager, you know, the same could be true, um, could be, could be true for them, how important it is to really become known for a niche that you own of really being known as the professional resource in your market, right. Yeah. To go to for this and a go-to resource for folks is, 
is gonna gonna help in those situations. But it's definitely interesting to play out, and there might even be some advantages. You know, it gets property managers thinking about too of like, man, I would love to see a five star rating on a on a resident. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the other side of the marketplace. Oh, and, and that's exactly uh, how it is on Airbnb. Every time someone, you know, books your, your room, you can look at their ratings and yeah. That's yep. right. So, it's, you know, there could be value for both sides, but as, as those kind of things look attractive, you've also got to think about, hey, is this company really, is this company really partnering with me long-term or are they trying to aggregate all the demand and and, and maybe eventually put me out of business. Um, and I think there's no question about that. I mean, I don't think Airbnb is ever going to want to be doing the maintenance and the cleanings. And people get this idea that I'm saying Airbnb is going to be the world's biggest property manager. I don't think they're ever going to do that. Why would they enter that yep. low margin, sweaty type business? They're going to stay right where they're at doing the payments and, and maintaining the relationship. You know, there's that saying about like the closer the closer you get to the consumer, the more value, it's like the higher up the value chain you're moving. And and why would Airbnb move down the value chain and be the guy going in and employing the cleaners and stuff? So the other pe- people always ask me like, well, what are you doing? What's your plan? My plan is honestly, as soon as Airbnb rolls out with this and, and they as soon as they have any type of like a preferred partner program, I'm gonna be first in line. I'm just gonna sign up. And I'm going to take advantage of that of that rolling snowball and hopefully, you know, milk it for a few years and uh, and and be like a preferred partner or whatever it is. And the other thing I'm doing is I'm I'm frankly, I'm buying Airbnb stock uh, and Zillow as well <laughs> as a hedge against my property management business. So maybe a little dark humor there. No, that's funny. And uh, and what's interesting is you think about like there really could be an advantage for early adopters yeah, I think in the so. professional industry. I mean, you think about, hey, the ratings, if I'm an Uber driver, I mean, I've got a dozen customers a day. If I'm a short term rental, right, I- I'm going to have dozens, maybe even per month, but certainly per quarter, you know, my property. And so the value of those kind of ratings when you're signing a one, one year lease, well, if I'm a self-managing landlord and I have a quadplex, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to, ha- I'm not going to be able to generate the kind of credibility and reputational volume on there as say somebody like Peter with 500 and growing properties, uh, in what they could do there very quickly. And, yeah. you know, that's going to influence people's choices. I know when I look at Airbnb and I see one rating and it's a three star, right? Right. Uh, who knows why that happened, what happened, et cetera. But I just see so many other options available uh, that have dozens of reviews, hundreds of reviews, and they're super hosts and everything else. Uh, man, that that actually could be of great service to what we want to happen in the industry, which is we want the professional to be distinguished, the professional experience 100%. from yeah. the self-managing. So it, it's interesting to think about how it actually could enable that. Yep, totally agree. Well, Peter, I know we're out of time, man. Thanks so much for being generous with your time. Uh, if you like what you heard here, definitely check out peterloman.com and the resources Peter has available. Uh, we scratched the surface of some of the cool things Peter has to say, but but thanks for spending some time with us today, Peter. And, thanks, Andrew. Uh, yeah, this was great. Yeah, looking forward to the next one, man. Catch all you right. later. That's all for this episode of The Triple Win. Thanks go out to Carol Housel and Jeff Tucker for everything they do to put these episodes together. And we want to remind everyone that you can find more resources, upcoming events, 
a link to our private Facebook group where the conversation continues in between these episodes with other professional property managers. All of that you can find at rbp.secondnature.com. Again, that's rbp.secondnature.com. And until next time, keep transforming what it means to be in professional property management by finding and applying your next triple win. We want it to be true that every time we see you, we see a better version of you and your business. With that, cheers. Cheers.